You're listening to a resource from Alpine Bible Church. Alpine Bible Church exists to know Christ Jesus together and to make Him known. We are located in Sugar Creek, Ohio. For more information, visit our website at alpinebible.org. May Jesus be glorified in your life. still in chapter 2. We're in a series that I chose this because this church was unique in the fact that Paul had never visited this church. He did not start this church. But uh, those who found Christ through Paul's ministry started this church, and that's an important thing to understand. And so uh, this did not have an apostolic uh, uh, person come and uh, sort of initiate this whole thing. But from a distance, Paul is writing from prison to uh, encourage these new believers and to make sure that they were on track. And they're were many uh, voices speaking into this crowd, especially because there was no apostle there. So they became uh, uh, oftentimes vulnerable to other strong leadership type people who were bringing in wrong teachings and things that were contrary to the faith. And that was a concern. So Paul's writing this letter really to uh, allow them to understand the truth and to stand strong against uh, those who are invading their uh, their church and causing trouble. And so in chapter 2, he, as we said last week, he said to them, I want you to know what a great conflict I have for you and those in Laodicea, and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love and attaining to all the riches of the full assurance of understanding to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both to the Father Uh, both of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And then he goes on to say, Now this I say, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. For though I am absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. That was our sermon last week, to walk in Christ and to uh, and how to do that. He goes on to tell us that we would do that by being rooted, in verse 7, being built up in Him and established in the faith, as you have been taught, and abounding in it with thanksgiving. Then he said, Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. Now he goes on to write some things that are a little more difficult to understand, so hang with me here as we read this. In him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. 
And you, being dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross, having disarmed principalities and powers. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. There are various uh, groups, secret societies. Uh, There are clubs in which membership requires uh, certain codes or rights for allowing uh, entrance and the receiving of certain uh, benefits as a result. When I was young, I uh, watched The Little Rascals. Does anybody remember that? that? If you're a millennial, you probably have never seen it. You need to. You can only find it on YouTube because it's been shut down on normal TV because it's too, uh, uh, too violent uh, or something of that nature. But uh, to get into their uh, clubhouse, you had this secret rite of passage, which was the uh, finger wave under the chin. <laughs> and, and when you did that, it was, it's such a secretive way of doing, of communicating. Like right now, you don't know who I'm communicating with, but <laughs> there's, there's somebody out here who's responding to me, and we're in the same club. You know, really, it's pretty, pretty handy. You might want to practice that. You'll... Well, there, you know, there are, seriously, there are Freemasons with their Masonic temples, and they have their mystery handshake. If you know how to do that, that's pretty cool. Uh, there's the Skull and Bones crowd. Uh, uh, George Bush was a member of that. It's a secretive organization, and many are involved in that. There's the Illuminati that some say doesn't exist, and others say it controls the ec- economics of the world. Uh, who knows? Uh, But in Paul's day, there were pagan beliefs and Gnostic beliefs, along with Judaic teachings. All of these were operating in Roman cities uh, during Paul's day, competing for followers, and newer believers were a common target. Uh, Paul wanted to warn these believers, and he wanted to instruct them concerning their Christian faith. So, as we already read in verse 8, he reminded them, beware, uh, lest anyone cheat you. That word cheat actually means deprive or take captive. Anybody would take you captive through philosophy and empty deceit. He goes on and says, for in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And then he says in verse 10, you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. So we as saints are, he's told us, we are made complete in Christ. And uh, let's just for a moment just understand how that takes place. How are we made complete? What are the things that Paul thinks are very important for us to understand that makes us complete in Christ? Verse 11 gives us the first one. There's four of these. Verse 1 is uh, in verse 11 where he says, We were circumcised with Christ. Uh, He goes on and says, of course, The circumcision made without hands. And then he answers, how? How? By putting off the body of the sins of the flesh, he says. Now, this was done vicariously through faith in the substitutionary sacrifice of Christ's death on our behalf. Uh, We uh, understand, you understand, and I do, that circumcision 
which is the cutting away of a small piece of flesh. It's a symbol, of course, in the Old Testament to identify God's people. But here it has the meaning of something different than that. It has the meaning of a violent removal of Christ's entire body in death. The Colossian saints and anyone who places their faith in Christ, and it means you and I as well, we spiritually share in this act of removal. Uh, it's the removal of the sinful nature. It's a uh, spiritual circumcision, if you will. It's an internal act. And it's referred to as the act of removal of the sin. Uh, it's referred to, uh, let, me, let me show you where. It's in Romans 2.29. I want to read that to you. Verse 28 and 29 of Romans chapter 2, because it helps explain this. Where Paul's trying to explain this idea of, of spiritual circumcision as opposed to physical Paul says in verse 28, for he is not a Jew who is one outwardly. It's not what you do outwardly, all the rites and the ceremonial things. He says, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not from men but from God. So he's calling this idea of this inner work that he's doing on our behalf is a spiritual circumcision, which is a circumcision of the heart. Another way of, of saying it that we all would understand this morning from Galatians 2.20, that we almost know this verse, I have been crucified with Christ. We could actually, in our text today, intersperse uh, this word, we could say, I have been circumcised with Christ, because that's really the idea Paul's trying to convey. Nevertheless, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So it's an internal act, this circumcision of the heart that he's trying to explain to the Colossian believers. You're made complete in Christ if you have been circumcised in your heart. That is, that this nature has been cut off from you, the sinful nature, and now you have a new heart. Uh, the second reason is in verse 12, where he says, Then you are also buried with him in baptism. The idea that Paul wants to convey is that we were dead in our trespasses, but uh, verse 13 says, In the uncircumcision of our flesh. We're dead that way, but, uh, and, and he wants us to know this idea of baptism is an outward act that depicts the inward act, the internal act. So it's something we do on the outside that's showing a picture of what happened on the inside. Our sinful nature was cut away, if you will, as we died to our former way of life. Uh, and then we buried that nature, uh, and that's what baptism is portraying. We are full in Christ if we understand circumcision of the heart and then baptism revealing what's taken place in our heart. And then the third thing is in verse 12 as well, where he says, in which you also were raised with him through faith. Verse 13 tells us that we were made alive together with him. Uh, he goes on and says, and that we were forgiven of all of our trespasses, which is an amazing thing. Then he goes on and says he wiped out that certificate of debt. Look at verse 14. Having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us. That's the statement of the law, which the law says everyone is guilty. Uh, the law is that 
amazing uh, document that came from the time of Moses, the Mosaic Law. That law was, I'm calling it a certificate of debt. He says it was nailed to the cross. And this references this idea that the law was this righteous standard that declares all mankind, every human being, is short of God's glory, and every human being then is guilty and deserving of death. No one can live according to the law. The law was a a perfect law given by a perfect God to a standard that no human being could ever measure up to. Jesus Christ comes along to declare that the law in its glory and in its uh, amazing standard uh, has to have someone respond to that law uh, to uh, allow for human beings to have a a renewed relationship with God. And so that's what the Lord has done on the cross when he paid the debt. Uh, And so this statement by Paul that he's canceled out uh, this handwriting of of requirements, uh, which is an amazing statement that we can understand this morning. In his righteous act, and the Lord Jesus did what no one else could do when he stamped it paid in full by his death. Aren't you glad? (laughs) Nothing we could do. Uh, J.B. Phillips, in his translation, wrote it this way. Christ has utterly wiped out the damning evidence of broken laws and commandments, which always hung over our heads and has completely annulled it by nailing it over his own head on the cross, unquote. Uh, That's an interesting statement because this is why Jews were so angry uh, with Pilate with the sign that was put over the Lord's head when he was crucified. Uh, You recall, because it's written in John 19, but the sign says, uh, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. So the Jewish leaders came to Pilate and uh, demanded that he change the sign to say, he said, I am the king of the Jews. And the reason why they did that was because that sign over uh, the head of every person who was crucified was uh, a statement of what they had done wrong. Uh, If a person had stolen something, they would say he, he was a thief. Uh, or whatever the issue was that they were indicted for, that would be hung as a sign over the cross. But in Jesus' case, they wanted it to say, he said, because that way if he said this, they're saying that was absolutely sinful and wrong. But of course, Pilate would not change the sign under the sovereignty of God. It simply said, Jesus Christ, the King of the Jews, which meant that even in the sign itself, God was not going to allow his son to be declared guilty. And yet, Paul wants us to know there is a figurative sign nailed over the head of Jesus Christ on the cross. It's not there to be seen, but it's there to be understood. It's this idea that the handwriting of requirements that was against all of us that says every person is a sinner was stamped and placed at the head of Jesus who died on the cross for all of us and therefore declared us uh, set free from the bondage and slavery of that curse as he, a perfect lamb, spotless lamb of God, paid the price that sin uh, is required. It's an amazing statement. I need to uh, just make a clarification here because some churches have taken baptism out of its context and have distorted it. So let me just remind us this morning that being raised out of the water is not synonymous with forgiveness and resurrection, as some teach. 
And Paul made this distinction when he wrote to us that we were raised with him through faith in verse 13. Or sorry, in verse, uh, in verse 12. Uh, we were raised with him through faith. He wants to make sure they understand that, that baptism is not something else. Uh, when we baptize here at our church, you've heard us, you've heard us say this. Uh, we were buried with him in the likeness of his death, raised to walk in newness of life. You've heard us use that phrase as we baptize people. That's right out of Romans chapter 6, verse 4. So uh, uh, though that's biblical, what we want to make sure that, uh, and Paul wants these folks to make sure they understand that, you know, baptism is not that which saves us. It's not the water baptism that does that. It's our faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, right? That's what saves us, our faith in that. But baptism, uh, according to Expositor's commentary, baptism then is not a magic rite, which, again, some of these folks may have heard that in this, in this text. But it was an act of obedience in which we confess our faith and symbolize the essence of our spiritual experience. We want to make sure people see what's happened in our heart. So this circumcision of the heart that Paul's writing about has taken place. And baptism is a way of signifying and revealing that truth that's happened in our lives. And he wants these folks to make sure they're clear about that. They are full in Christ if they understand that. In fact, the Colossian saints uh, were uh, complete. That word complete is so important, going back uh, to verse 10. And you are complete in him. Uh, to, to make sure that these saints knew that because the voices coming to them were that you need more than just your faith. You need more than just this or that. And, and uh, they were twisting and perverting uh, all kinds of things. Uh, he wanted them to know that they were released. You've been released from the bondage of guilt. And uh, I don't know about you, but there's nothing, there's, there's nothing as, as tyrannical as the weight of guilt on a person's life. When you're under guilt, uh, you know how heavy that can feel. And, and to have the knowledge that you are absolutely fully forgiven in Christ that that weight of guilt should not be on your heart. Some folks still uh, penalize themselves uh, with guilt uh, when Christ has told us over and over again that he's forgiven us and cleansed us from all unrighteousness, and yet some of you are still uh, allowing guilt to hold you a prisoner. I want to say this morning, that's only your fault because God has set you free in Christ if your faith is genuine in him. There's a fourth uh, way that we are made complete, and that's in verse 15. When he goes on, it says, having disarmed principalities and powers. Uh, it's so important for us to understand, again, what Paul is saying to these folks. Because, again, there are those who have uh, seem to have some kind of authority, some who are declaring themselves to have more knowledge, uh, who are coming in and saying things and teaching things. And Paul wants them to know that God, the Lord Jesus, through his death, has disarmed principalities and powers. All authorities are disarmed under Jesus. I want to I help us to remind ourselves, because I don't think that people in general have any idea of the powers and authorities that are positioned over their lives. Uh, today, if you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're actually living your life under authorities that you have no idea exist. Let me help us to understand that very, very briefly. In 2 Corinthians, don't turn, I'm just going to give these, write these down. In 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4, 
uh, regarding those who are outside of Christ. It says this, whose minds the God of this age has blinded. You know, if you don't have Christ in your life, then your life is actually being overruled by someone called the God of this age. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2, talks about the prince of the power of the air. This is someone with authority who is uh, in authority over the, uh, the earth and its atmosphere. And so that includes anything that's uh, really earthbound. Uh, in Ephesians 6, verse 11, it talks about the scheming of the devil. Uh, in Ephesians 6, verse 12, we read about powers and rulers of the darkness of this age and spiritual hosts of wickedness. Uh, in Revelation 12, verse 9, it talks about the great dragon, that serpent of old. Going clear back to the garden, that serpent that appeared to Eve and spoke to her was not just a snake, folks. It wasn't just a prehistoric snake of some kind that we've been told. It was the devil himself. Notice it uh, actually tells us in that verse in Revelation 12, 9, the serpent of old called the devil and Satan who deceives the whole world. Uh, Peter wrote in 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, he referred to false prophets among the people. He talked about false teachers among you. And many will follow their destructive ways, and they will exploit you with deceptive words. In 1 Corinthians eleven thirteen, Paul mentions false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. These things are real. I, I want you to know today as I stand here that... I don't believe I'm one of those. I just want to make that clear. Uh, and, and I'll tell you how I know I'm not and why you can trust that. Because I'm simply relying on this. It's called God's Word. I'm not going to twist it or take it out of context or try to pervert it in any way. I hope I don't. And you can, you can take God's Word and you can validate anything that's being said according to the Word of God to make sure that you're hearing the right thing. And you have a responsibility to do that. But this is why Paul tells us that these Forces have been disarmed in verse 15. He wants us to know that. Uh, and, and in fact, uh, Paul has already told us uh, in 2 Corinthians 10 that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty in God for pulling down strongholds and casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. 2 Corinthians 10, verses 4 and 5. So we as believers... Uh, have been freed from evil forces. That's really what he wants them to know. There's no one who has authority over you except for Jesus Christ, and you need to listen to him. We have all that is needed, all of us as believers in Christ, to stand firm against any of those forces. I, I want you to know, and I believe, that these forces are still at work today, if, if not, even more so. It wasn't uh, long ago that I, well, I preached out of 2 Corinthians chapter, chapter 2, or 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. I'm highly thinking about doing that again because I think we just need to understand that in these last days, Satan, there's an escalation of satanic work and, and rebellion in all places of government, all throughout the world. And uh, we see that now, uh, just the response from the Roe versus Wade uh, across the world, just people going crazy over this. And that's just one side of people without all the facts who are just reacting in such a way. But you just see what's behind that is controlling that is something that's very evil and dark. And that's happening around us. 
What is very interesting is this phrase at the end of in verse 15. The, it says, he, uh, he, that is Christ, has made a public spectacle of them. That is these principalities and powers. He's made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. I think Paul had something specific in mind when he says this. In his day, uh, if Rome had a victory and it was significant enough, there would be a triumphal procession that would come back through the city to celebrate the victory. And uh, they would certainly uh, uh, reveal the conquered rulers and authorities and put them on display as they marched uh, in front of all the people. The historian Plutarch uh, gave a description of a three-day triumph given the Roman general uh, Aemilius Paulus as he returned from capturing Macedonia. I wanted to read some things that this uh, historian captured and probably what Paul was thinking about when he made this statement about a public spectacle. And so here's what Plutarch wrote about a three-day triumph. He says, Great scaffolds were erected in the forum and along the boulevards of Rome for spectators seating. And all of Rome turned out dressed in festive white. On the first day... 259 chariots displayed in procession the statues, pictures, and colossal images taken from the enemy. On the second day, innumerable wagons bore the armor of the Macedonians. Of course, he goes on to describe that in detail, which I'm not going to read today. But he does say, following uh, the wagons that had all the armor, following those wagons came 3,000 carrying the enemy's silver in 750 vessels, followed by more treasure. On the third day came the captives, preceded by 120 sacrificial oxen with their horns gilded and their heads adorned with ribbons and garlands. Next were Macedonian gold, and then finally the captured king's chariot, crown, and his armor. Then came the king's servants, weeping with hands outstretched, begging the crowds for mercy. Next came the king's children. Then the king Perseus himself, clad entirely in black, followed by endless prisoners, finally came the victorious general. And the general, seated on the chariot, magnificently adorned, dressed in a robe of purple, interwoven with gold and holding a laurel branch in his right hand. All the army in like manner with bow of laurel in their hands divided into their bands and companies followed the chariot of their commander. Some were singing verses according to the usual custom, songs of triumph and praise for Amelius's deeds. You know, as I'm sure Paul would have caught some of this himself. And as he writes this and realizes what had been done, what Satan had tried to pull off himself. I think that's why Paul uses this description. Satan thought, I'm sure that, that the devil thought he had done this to Jesus. He wanted to humiliate Jesus. So he had a whip with a cat of nine tails. He had the soldiers crown him with a crown of thorns and, and uh, slap him in the face and mock him and so on. He wanted to see all of that. He, I'm sure he was rejoicing in all the events unfolding. And when the cross came and 
uh, they stripped him down and then nailed him on the cross. I'm certain that Satan thought this was a wonderful execution of his plan to crucify the Lord Jesus Christ. But evidently, Satan did not fully understand uh, the full extent of God's plan. The cross was not Satan's idea. (laughs) I I, I want to remind us this morning, if I can, from Isaiah 53. You all know it, but let me just remind you of uh, some verses we sometimes don't read as much as we do others. In Isaiah 53, we often focus on the first part of the chapter you know, a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. Uh, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken. That's verse 4. Smitten by God and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. At the end of verse 6, it says, And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And then it begins to reveal the fact that this is not Satan doing this. This is God the Father. The Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. So he opened not his mouth and went before his shearers as silent. So he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and so on. And who will declare his generation? For he was cut off. There's that, there's that circumcision. He was cut off from the land of the living for the transgressions of my people. Of my people, he was stricken. There's again, we see God the Father saying this. The transgressions of my people, he was stricken. And they made his grave with the wicked and so on, but with the rich at his death, because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. And watch this, verse 10. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. Satan can be as gleeful as he wants. This is God doing this. And somehow, evidently, Satan is deceived, self-deceived, and thinking that maybe this is just exactly what he wanted. And so, uh, but we read on here, it pleased, in verse 10, it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed and he shall prolong his days and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied by his knowledge. My righteous servant shall justify many. That means the righteous servant, the Lord knew ahead of time what he was doing. For he shall bear their iniquities. You see, When Paul's writing this, he wants this crowd, these new believers, to understand that all the authorities and those who are promoting themselves with all kinds of teachings outside of this, who are telling you you need more than just Jesus Christ, some are saying Jesus Christ is not God. That was, again, that's one of the main things that you'll always hear about. And so as they're trying to, uh, that's a Gnostic teaching, and so that Jesus Christ might have made himself a small G God, but he's not the God. And so as they promote this, uh, and here's uh, Paul just saying to these folks, don't listen to these people. They're robbing you of what you believe. And then he says, uh, all these voices and all these authorities and all these powers around you are being disarmed. And then God has made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them. And you can just kind of get the picture here of God eventually having this train of victory march and, 
uh, in a sense, all of these who have stood against the cross and stood against the Lord Jesus, uh, Satan's forces and workers and so on, they've all been sentenced and they're in this victory parade that uh, the Lord Jesus Christ will ride on in a figurative way, in a sense. And uh, so he wants us to know and he wants this crowd to know, you know, you do not have to fear the evil that's around you, the evil that attacks you, the evil that is all around us this day. We don't have to have any fear of that because all of them are on trial to be punished eternally under God's power. So today, you and I, we are complete in Christ. We are absolutely complete in him. In whom, we read, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead. There's no other person. There's no other being. There's no other philosophy from which we need to be afraid or fear. I, this morning think about that in my own life and I say to the Lord Jesus Christ, hallelujah, that I can stand in confidence. No wonder when Paul writes to the Philippians and he says to them, stand firm, uh, therefore stand, because they can stand. They stand in Christ, not in their own strength. You're not going to go through this week and stand in your own strength. You're not going to have a positive attitude and put on that positive attitude and just be a, you know, a, this positive guy all through your life when the fact is that we're going to be bombarded with things that are going to drive that out. And so, again, the Lord Jesus is the one who makes us sufficient. He is a, we have fullness in him. We are complete in him. And I stand today knowing that Jesus Christ, I, I can conquer all things through Christ who gives me strength. I understand that Jesus Christ is the one who has provided for me this strength through his major work in my life and has saved me. We are conquerors through Christ, through him who loved us so. He's going to go on and say, so let no one judge you. Now he's going to turn topic. We'll do this next week. No, let no one judge you in food or drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbath because now he's identifying some of the very specific things that they've been dealing with by voices telling them what they need. These things are a shadow of things to come, he says, but the substance is of Christ. So don't get caught up listening to these people. Let no one cheat you of your reward. There's an old hymn that I uh, like, and many of you do too, I think. But let me just remind you of what it says. I hear the Savior say, thy strength indeed is small. Child of weakness, watch and pray. Find in me thine all in all. Jesus paid it all, right? All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Have you experienced that in your own personal life? When we read about uh, uh, words like circumcision, and we're talking about baptism as a picture of the circumcision that takes place, and we're talking about the fact that we are made alive in Christ through his resurrection. As I talk about those things, I just wonder if someone is here and you're just really not putting the pieces together. And I just want to remind you that 
what Paul is trying to structurally say, which may sound a bit deep here, is simply the sense that these are all words that are understood by, especially by Jewish followers, because they understand circumcision and what it was for as a sort of an outward mark that you belong to God. And it was uh, done for many different reasons besides that, also for purity and so on and for cleanliness. And there were many reasons why, but certainly the most important reason was that you were a follower of God, a identified with him and his people. That was their sign for all men to have that. But what Paul's doing is including everyone in that, not just men. He's including everyone. Uh, so every uh, man, woman, boy, and girl today, if you place your faith in Christ and you're following him, you've given your life to him, then you are, in a sense, spiritually being circumcised, that is, identified with God, having uh, put off this old nature. It's no longer that which has to uh, lead you and you, ha- you have to stand underneath it and you are always going to fall on your face and fail and always come up short in terms of holiness because you know you can never do it. But you see, when the Lord does this work in our lives that he circumcises us from that sin by cutting it away in a sense by it, the death of Christ on the cross and I place myself in Christ and identify with him then in a sense that begins to make clear sense. I hope you understand this today. It's a wonderful truth. Not often taught. And today you and I have this privilege to be clean in Christ as he's paid the price for us. It's because of all of this that you and I have been made alive in Christ And today I can stand here as a forgiven person and you as well as forgiven saints. And we are alive because of Jesus Christ. Amen. That's what it's all about. That's what it's all about. And so as you uh, just go through your life, especially in the next uh, in the next days and weeks, as we watch the unfolding of, I think, in our culture, more and more difficult days, I think more and more testings. Uh, What Paul wants these Colossian believers to know is that you can stand, even when you're pressed, you can stand, you can stand strong and stand in faith because you are complete if you just believe in Christ and follow him and know him and choose to walk in his way. So we said last week, walk in Christ. This week we're saying you're alive in Christ and rejoice in that dear saint. And for those of you who don't know Christ, and aren't quite sure what we're saying. I'm simply saying this, that yes, one day I'm going to die. Yes, I'm going to leave this planet. That's a fact. won't deny that. Uh, When I'm talking about being alive in Christ, I'm talking about the fact that I will be instantly from this place, from this body, instantly with the the Lord, right? That's, That's our great hope. Not because I've done something good to earn it, not because I've, I've had a string of good days and, and I've, uh, I've not done anything wrong in the last month. That, 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 that's not going to make it because all of us fall short by the very law of God. No one's perfect, but Jesus Christ, who paid the price, paid in full for you, allows you to put your faith in him and be set free from all the things that hold you back, especially even the law. When he said he came to fulfill the law, it was to fulfill the price tag of the curse of sin that the law says no one can fill, no one can satisfy, but a perfect spotless lamb called Jesus, the Son of God, who's both God and man. He could do that. 
and he has set you free because of that. Here's the thing. Will you believe that? Will you reach out by faith and say, that is true, and I am so thankful for that. Lord, take my sin and forgive me and cleanse me and lift that burden off of my own life. Allow me to have a, a positive sense of new life in Christ. Allow me to know that my life is destined toward heaven and not toward that place called hell. And if there's someone here like that this morning, you can have that changed in an instant. It all comes through faith. Will you believe in Jesus Christ or not? That's the call. It has not changed in 2,000 years, and it continues until the day he returns, which is coming soon. And so I call on you, and I ask you, I plead with you, if you have not made that decision... As a man, as a woman, as a child, it's time to do that. As David said earlier, this is not a, uh, there's no gray areas with Christ anymore. It's either you're with him or you're not. And I trust and pray that some of you have, maybe have not made that choice. And I'm asking you today to do it for the sake of your own life, for your future. Let's pray. Lord, your, your word is constantly teaching us, instructing us, and revealing to us how much you love us. The fact that you would, before any of us here were born, the fact that you would consider going to a cross as a perfect human as well as God, no sin, to fulfill what the law requires, It's your law. And the only way for you to change your law is for you to become the sacrifice. Lord, I I, I don't understand why, but I thank you. I thank you for the story you've written that has me in its pages and everyone here who has called on you as Lord and Savior. And that person this morning who yet has not done that, Lord, may they also be included in your story as they realize that you love them so much you gave your life for them. Lord, help us all as followers of you to be that much more thankful for this work you've done, for this process that you would allow yourself to be so brutally ripped apart, literally, torn from from human life, that you would be the sacrifice sufficient for us. And I pray that my faith in you would be genuine and true. Thank you for the knowledge that I have of who you are and for these who are here. And Lord, may our faith be such that Nothing can change that state with you. And I thank you for that, that you have promised us that faith in you means that we have you eternally. So, Lord, for that person who has not received you, I ask for your mercy over their life, that you would, Lord, you would reveal yourself in such a way that they would see the truth and get out from underneath all the dark forces that are holding them back, that they would respond to you in that way. Lord, many parents are praying for their kids for that. Some kids are praying that for their parents. Lord, I I just ask for your power over this crowd today. May we know without any question who you are. And I pray that every person in this building would know you as Lord and Savior. 
We commit ourselves to you now and ask your blessing as we press on. We thank you for your word again and ask that you would just do a great work in our body and in our people. We commit ourselves to you now and give all the praise and glory to Jesus Christ who has given his life for us.